Well, welcome. Welcome to our uh, quick little makeshift uh, studio, if you like, uh, our indie court venue that we've quickly turned into um, a little bit of a recording studio so that we could get you guys something a little more uh, in the moment, if you'd like. I know they're not going to be able to hear it, but I really feel like <laughs> we should give Sean and Coco a bit of a clap. So in your living room, wherever you are, this is so unusual, but I'm doing it. Can we just give them a clap? Coco, imagine Sean, Coco, imagine there's like, there's 500 homes just clapping your name. There's no lack in this house, absolutely. Now, obviously, uh, you can hear there's people in our little studio. We have fit in with the rules that Scotty Morrison has given us, and he's allowed us so incredibly to come together in order to put this together for you. So there's a few guys here that we've pulled in, and thank you guys so much, Sean Coco. It is not easy to go before a camera, as I'm finding more and more. Um, Jess and I have had many wrestles of things I've been told not to do, so... It's uh, no, no, <laughs> no, and I've done the same when she was on camera. But it's hard. This is very difficult. It's a learning curve. So thank you guys. Well done. I have so much that God's showing me in this, and so little time. I don't want to take forever. But I always struggle when coming up with something to preach um, during Easter, because there's so much. Everything that we see in the scriptures is about Jesus, and is about the plan God had to bring his people back into right relationship with him. At the very, begin, at the very beginning, rather, the, the Garden of Eden, we see that relationship broken and everything that, that is through the Old Testament into the New is about redeeming God's people back into relationship with him. So the Easter message, while it's the, the crescendo of that whole thing, is such an important part, but there's so much about about Jesus that I could spend and just sit and talk about him. And if that's all we talked about, we would have enough. But while Jess and I had the privilege of being in Thailand, I was I was reading through John and God dropped this uh, this message in my heart. So I want to share um, some some thoughts around this. And it's an unusual position uh, to start with, especially at Easter. But I feel like it's the very uh, beginning of what Jesus was doing in in his time and in his ministry. So if you have a Bible with you or you want to turn to, um, we may have it on the screen. I'm not sure if we're that techni technically cable, capable. But uh, if you've got a Bible, turn to John 2. John chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 1. The interesting thing about, about this verse, though, is that this this is... This is right before Jesus goes on to explain how one can get born again. It's right before Harry goes on to explain that God so loved the world, he sent his only son. But before all of that, he does this. And it's, it's so interesting, this first miracle that Jesus does when he turns the water into wine. A lot of people, their only understanding or use of this verse is for us as Christians to um, use to say this is why we can still drink and why we can still have a wine from time to time. We'll often go to this verse. But what Jesus is showing here is, is so much bigger than that. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great argument if we wanted to go there, but it's so much bigger. And when, when God revealed this to me, I, I nearly fell over because it was such a, an amazing understanding of our salvation, of who we are. So I'm just going to read from verse 1. It says, on the, f on the third day, there was a wedding at, at at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, 
the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast toasted the water, uh, sorry, when the master of the feast toasted, the water now became wine and, did not, and he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then they serve the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, they went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days i love the story how this starts because because mary comes to jesus and he says she says they're out of wine you have to do something and jesus says to her but it's not my time and mary trusting who jesus was just says to the servants just stay with him he'll tell you to do something she knew in her heart he's got to break in here we need to see something happen and he's got to break in so she trusts that Jesus has a situation. She, she just goes, just look to him. He'll tell you to do something. And I love that Jesus is like, Ugh, all right, I wasn't going to do this now, but I'll do it. I'll show you who I am. And it's so incredible. I love the way John, John pulls so many descriptive words. He explains what's taking place. And a lot of um, archaeologists have used John's writings to find the certain areas in the scriptures because of the way he described um, temples having five pillars with one in the middle. And then they're able to go to that location and find that. And they, they can find, because of the way John described it, that there was that fifth pillar in the middle. And I think the, the, the cool thing here is he says that there's, there's six jars, six stone jars that were used for, for ritualistic cleaning, for cleansing rituals. Sorry, babe, can you get my water bottle that's just there next to Sean? Sorry. I put the aircon on in here so that wouldn't be a million degrees. It's still a million degrees. John describes the language. He highlights that there are six stone jars used for purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. The tradition was to pour the good wine first, and then as the people became more merrier, they would pour the, pour the poor wine so that they didn't know that the wine was worse than the first wine. It would go to the lesser variety of wine. But Jesus doesn't follow the status quo. Jesus decides, I have, a, I have the best wine, and I'm going to give it to you now. But this is the interesting thing. The jars are absolutely interesting to me because John explains that they're stone vessels. And he says that they were used for ritualistic cleaning. As I started to, to unpack this, when God showed me that there was a, something highlighted around that, that word ritualistic cleaning, I started to find out that, that they used these jars for the cleansing of the body. Before they would go into a ceremony or go in to be before God, they would take the water from these jars and they would wash themselves. And they would wash themselves throughout the day. Anytime that they felt that they were unclean or unpure, they would wash themselves, take the water and cleanse their body so that they could go and do whatever it was that they were doing. From this very teaching, we understand now how to clean our bodies so that germs don't get passed from one person to another. What they actually did was they took these religious 
um, ritual washings and tried to work out why is it that these people aren't getting as sick as other people were. And it was because they realized that every time they touched something that was unclean and they went and washed themselves and then went and touched somebody else, they realized that they weren't passing the germs from one to another. That's why now we have the understanding that we have, which you've all seen all over Facebook, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Why? Because it's the stopping from the transfer from germs from one place to another. So before they would go into a holy place, they would wash all the bad germs off them and then enter in. It was different to the sacrificial cleansing that they would do, where they would sacrifice an animal which would cleanse them of the past sins that they had done. This washing was to make them and their outer body uncle- that was unclean, clean before they went and did the thing they were about to do. So at a wedding feast, they would cleanse their hands and their body before they would go in and eat the, 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 the cake and the, the, the meal of the, of the wedding. When I was studying this yesterday or the day before, whenever I saw this deeper, I, I yelled out and Jess was like, what? I said, babe, this is everything that we've been seeing over the last three or four months. Wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Why? Because you're dirty and you're sick and you'll make everybody else sick. Go inside, cleanse yourself, stay away from everyone else because you're going to make everybody else sick. But Jesus comes along and he says, I have a way to fix your sickness and your illness and I'm going to show you how I'm going to do it. The, the, the water you use for cleansing, I'm going to take and I'm going to turn it into an inward cleansing mechanic rather than an outward cleansing. Water cleanses the outside, but wine cleanses the inside. When you feel sick in the stomach, if you have a nip of wine, my parents used to give me a little nip of wine if I was feeling sick in the stomach because it makes your stomach feel better. Every time we've been on missions trips and we've gone to, to um, Sri Lanka or India and you've had too many curry or bad curry, you have a little nip of wine and it instantly fixes your, your stomach. Why are we stopping? Oh, no. And we're back. We're sorry. We uh, had a little bit of a Apple problem with our storage few arguments for Samsung, but we're going to keep moving on with Apple. So, sometimes when you feel sick in the stomach, there's, you, you, can, you can drink wine to cleanse the inside of the stomach. It, it allows your stomach to settle and it cleanses that that's inside. So Jesus takes the water and he takes the, the, the ritual that they will use for cleansing and he says to them, bring the water, put the water back into the jars because they'd obviously already used it for cleansing. So he's saying, what you've already done is not good enough. Take the water, fill it back, take the water and put it back into the jars. Allow the jars to be filled and I'm going to change that water to something that will cleanse you from the inside forever. So he uses an element, wine, to picture the blood to say that my blood, the blood from my sacrifice, which you don't even know is coming yet, is going to cleanse you from the inside out and it's going to draw a picture that you already know ritualistic cleaning and cleansing before I can step into my life, I'm going to use that and I'm going to show you how you can clean everything. But this is the most incredible thing, is that that John writes and he says that there were six jars. Augustine writes in uh, one of his ridiculously old books, which I can't remember where I got it from because I didn't write it down here, but Augustine of Hippo, you can find it if you just Google it. He says this, he says, Thence down to the time in which we are now living are six ages, 
This being the sixth, as you have often heard and know, the first aged is reckoned from Adam to Noah, the second from Noah to Abraham, and as Matthew the evangelist duly follows and distinguishes the third from Abraham to David, the fourth from David to the carrying away into Babylon, the fifth from the carrying away into Babylon to John the Baptist. Matthew 1.17 explains the sixth from John the Baptist to the ends of the world. He's explained it that there was six time periods, six ages from the very beginning in the garden right up to Jesus to when he closes out and he, and he brings us into the end times, right? So we are now currently living in the end times, the final age that is to come right so we know that we've seen that what jesus shows in this wedding feast is that six jars that i've seen the six ages everything that's come before i'm going to cleanse right up to me and then i'm going to lay something out before you that you can now step into and live from being cleansed in who i am every age up until that jesus wasn't just saying it's for you jews or for you you gentiles we see that jesus brings everybody in and he says everybody in me can now be cleansed from the inside out entirely through who i am and he showed the picture in his very very first miracle he says i'm going to give you everything of me right from the get-go you want to know who i am i'm the one who's coming to change cleansing rituals that you have to do regularly to you having to do once through me forever see what jesus was drawing was a parallel to what was to come to the very day we're, we're uh, in today as resurrection sunday or good friday that we're, that we're actually filming this on but he was drawing everything from that place to now to say i'm going to do something that allows you to be cleansed from whatever forever that's what jesus was drawing his very first miracle is he's saying this is who i am i'm the one who will take the rituals of cleaning from the outside with the water you used and will turn it into an inward substance the wine and i'll ensure that that substance can never be reversed with my blood so the reason the blood is so important is it's what it's what makes up who we are it runs through our bodies it cannot be changed or reversed everything that jesus did he did in a manner where he said once you come into me once you truly enter into me by a covenant of blood, which I'm going to explain in a minute, once we mingle our bloods together, I am for you and no one else can be against you. That's what Jesus was, was, was doing in his very first miracle. He's, he was saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. And you're never, ever going to have to cleanse again. In Hebrews 8, 1 to 11, Jesus, he says this, now the point is where we are saying in this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in, tr in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he, me he mediates is better. 
since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with the new co- uh, sorry, for he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one. Sorry, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Jesus' time on this earth, he was doing two things. He was finalizing the first covenant, and he was set setting up the second covenant. We see that throughout his ministry because in a blood covenant, in an ancient Jewish blood covenant, there were nine steps, nine things that they would do along the way to fulfill a covenant. If I was going to cut covenant with Dave and Dave owned a a kingdom and I owned a kingdom, I was a king of Sir Ben's allot land and he was king of Sir Dave's allot land and we wanted to cut covenant to become friends. These are the things that we would do. We would take off our coat or robe. Then we would take off our belt. We would cut the covenant. So we would cut a, 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 a mark in our hand, actually in our right hand, in our right arm. And we would raise our arm up and we would mingle our blood together. We would, we would mix the two bloods from the cuts in our, in, our, in our hand. We would exchange names. So I would become Sir Ben's a lot, Dave's a lot land, and he would become Sir Dave's a lot, Ben's a lot land. We would merge our two names together. This is going to make so much sense in a minute. And then we would make a scar in 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 the way that they would they would take the wound and they would make it into a scar so that every time I looked at that wound, I remembered my friend Dave and the covenant that I cut with him. We would then give the terms of the covenant, what he can have and what I could have. We would then sit down together as friends and we would eat a meal together. And then the final thing we would do was we would go out to a place that we could both see from our land and we would plant a tree to remember. All of this was to remember that I have cut covenant with Dave and if Dave goes to war, I go to war. If Dave's suffering, I'm suffering. Everything that he does, I now do. Everything that we do, we do together. This is what Jesus does when he comes. And in all of his ministry, he's creating a covenant that he cuts with God and he allows us into that covenant. That's what Easter was all about. John 13, 4, step one of the covenant. Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. He takes off his robes and his clothes. He gets down on his knees and he washes their feet. He gives them his, his robes saying, these are for you. Step two, he takes off his belt. Romans eight thirty three. he says, if he is for us, who could be against us? He takes off his belt, which carried their weapons, and he hands it to us. He says, any battle you go into, if I am for you, nobody can be against you. Step three, he cuts the covenant. He puts a mark in his hands and on his feet, and he hangs on the cross to say, every time you see these marks, you have to remember that I've cut covenant with you. 
he mingles his blood he brings us in with him that our blood mingles with his that his overtakes and makes makes his blood run through our bodies step four he raises his right arm he mixes he mixes the blood taking off our nature and putting on the nature of our blood covenant baptism the old has gone behold the new is here and the wearing of the nature of christ romans 6 4 says that we're baptized into him we're brought into him we're mixed with his blood step five he exchanges the name we take on the person and the authority that christ carries when we stand and say by the by the name of of jesus by the name of Christ, I'm doing this. When I pray for somebody and I say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, when we think, when we think God, we're using his name to remember to say, he's the one, that the power we use. He's the one of, of by whom we cut covenant with. We take the name of Christ in the exchanging of who he is. Number six, he makes a scar. G, uh, John 20, 26 to 27, Jesus shows up and Thomas says, show me your hands. Show me your hands. I love that Jesus says to him, you don't need to see this, Thomas. But he says, show me, I need to see. I need to see the scars in your hands. Why? Because then I'll know that you're the one that I've cut covenant with. I'll know you're the one who went to the cross, who died and raised again. And Jesus shows every scar that he has. You see, the scars in Jesus' hands and feet, the fact that he hung on that cross means to us that he's the one who cut covenant with God that we get to come into and stand by. That song that we just sung, The Wounded One, it's not because he's wounded, he, he's wounded and he's broken and he's, and he's tiny, fragile Jesus. No, he's the one of which was wounded that we can stand. He's the one who carries the scars by which we can say, he's the one that I'm in who cut covenant with God. It's a remembrance in the, in the understanding of the blood covenants in a Jewish ritual to say, he's the one. Satan, you're attacking me, you're coming up against me. Hey, look who the one I've cut covenant with is. Look who my father is. Look who my, the one who fights on my behalf is the one who carries the scars in his hand. The one who was wounded on the cross, who died and rose again. Step number seven. We give the covenant terms. The terms are outlaid. All that I have is yours. Everything, our assets and our liabilities. In the covenant, it is a take everything kind of deal. Matthew 19, 27, 30. We give all of ourselves to him as he gives all of himself to us. That's why for so long I've been preaching, guys, we have to pick up our cross. We have to stop being a Sunday morning church. We have to start being at every moment of our life, God, I'm giving you all. Why? Because it was a part of the terms of the covenant by which we entered into when Jesus cut with God. Pick up our cross daily and live out our life with him. Why? Because he's given you everything. So we give him everything in what we do. It was a term that we discussed. It was a term that we said, Jesus, because you saved me, because you've given me everything, I give you my entire life. Mold me and make me. It's your way. Step number eight, we eat a memorial meal. Jesus sits with the disciples. And he takes bread and wine, which we're going to do in a minute, and he says, remember me. That remember me means to act on my behalf. Remember the things that we've done here. Remember who I was. Remember what I did. And remember what your promise was. And I'll remember what mine is. We have a part to hold up in this. 
There's a part for us to play when we sit at that meal, at that dinner table, every time that we break bread and we take that communion. It's not because that's something that we just do in church. It's because we're remembering the meal of the one by which we've been brought into who cut covenant with God. The one with the scars on his hands. The one with the blood that runs through our bodies now when we've entered into him. The one of whom we, we say, worthy is he. Every time we take communion, we hold those two things, the, the body and the blood in our hand. It's a remembrance of who he is. The final step of the blood covenant was that they would plant a memorial tree. Jesus went to the top of Golgotha, carrying the tree on his back. They cut a hole in the ground and he buries the tree. Why? So that every time we look to the cross, every time we see that cross hanging around our necks or tattooed on our legs, we remember that's the one I cut covenant with. He's the one that I entered into this thing with. He's the one who fights on my behalf. He's the one that I give all of who I am to. Why? Because he did what no one else could do. He put a tree on that hill that no one else could do. He died in a place to give us something that no one else could give. A final tree that Jesus plants in the, in the covenant to cut with the Father is to say that you can come in and have all that I have. You can take part in everything that I have. Revelation 7, 9, verse 10. After all this I looked, and behold... A great multitude. No one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm, palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a declaration of the covenant that God cut, sorry, that Jesus cut with God, that he allows us into. Why is it so important that we're made one with Jesus? Because he's one with the Father. And the covenant that he cut cannot be broken. You see, this weekend, Easter, the thing that we all come to celebrate and we love to get around with our families and it's amazing that we can celebrate like that. But the reality of what took place on this weekend is what allows us to do everything that we do. It was what brought everything from the garden that was broken by Adam and Eve and, and the trail of destruction that was left right up to Christ to when he plants that tree on the top of Golgotha. That is what this weekend is all about. But I want to finish with this. Before we do communion, I want to finish with this. We have a job to do. We have a hold up in our bargain that we have to hold up. We have a part to play in this, in that we don't just get to ride on the coattails into heaven and sit back and wait it out, is that God's asked us to fight on His behalf as He is fighting on our behalf. I preached last weekend that we can go to the mountain and worship him and, and win in the valley. That's a part of fighting on his behalf. That there is a real enemy here that we are fighting. There is a real um, thing that's attacking with this COVID-19 and we get the option now to stand and hold up our end and say, God, I'm doing everything for you. I'm changing my ways. I'm not going to sit back and relax and wait for it to be handed to me. I'm going to give you all that I am everything that I am. So why don't you go ahead and, and grab your communion, your wine or your juice, depending on how you feel.
isn't this a little bit weird to take communion on Resurrection Sunday, on the celebration when Jesus comes out of the tomb? No, no, it's not. <laughs> because this, what we're about to do, the wine and the bread, symbolizes the very power of Jesus dying, raising again, and ascending as to where he is. You see, you can't just have one without the other. It's not all about the death. Because without the death, you don't have the resurrection. He was just another criminal. If you just have the resurrection, the death and the resurrection, then he was no better than Lazarus. But you have to take all three into place, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension. They all play a part in who Jesus is. And it shows that everything he said he was, everything that the prophets pointed towards, was exactly who Jesus was. So when we take of this in your homes, every night when you, when you eat, pause with your family on your own with your friend whoever it is that you live with pause and remember this moment remember the death and the resurrection of Christ remember the ascension and where he is seated right now at the right hand of the father the bread represents his body broken Jesus I thank you for your body I thank you for what it is this represents that I hold in my hand I thank you that you were whipped Lord that we could be healed that you were broken Jesus that we could be brought back into right relationship with you that you drank that cup that you didn't want to drink for our sake God, as we eat of this now, we remember you and we will act, Jesus, on your behalf. Lord, as we take this cup filled with a picture of your blood, your beautiful blood, Jesus, like the stone jars filled with water that you turned into wine to represent the very blood from your body. God, we thank you that it cleanses us from the inside out, that no longer you remember our sin, our sin as far east as the east is from the west. That when we, went, when we enter into a covenant with you, when we enter into the place with you, Jesus, that you've forgiven us wholly, that your blood doesn't cover the old, but it washes us entirely clean. It allows us to become in completely new creations. God, I thank you. Jesus, I thank you that this beautiful substance was spilled all over us, that we can enter into eternity with you. We love you, Jesus, and we honor you, Lord. You can drink. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you continue to walk with us day in and day out. That you reveal new truths to us. That you reveal who you are every day. God, I pray that you just give us the understanding to see you more and to know you more. 
Jesus, help us to understand the fullness of your cross, the fullness of the sacrifice, Father. Help us to understand the very power that you gave us in your death, resurrection and ascension. May you guide us in this time, Lord, as we navigate this COVID-19, as we navigate this isolation. I pray that your church, your body comes out stronger than it went in. Challenge us, Lord. Mold us and make us, God. May this nation, Australia, rise up, Lord, and see the harvest that's been prophesied time in and time out. May disciples of you raise up in this time, Lord. Give us the strength and the understanding to do what needs to be done, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we honor you, Lord. And in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you. I hope that that's encouraging. I hope it gives you something to to move forward with. I think we've going, been going for like nearly an hour now. Huh? So we might just end it there rather than going back into worship. But we've put a few things up um, that you can go back. You can far, rewind and go back to the, the worship that we first put in if you want to stay in that place. Or go on to Spotify and use, uh, use some of those playlists that there's worship there. But I uh, just encourage you to to stay in communication with people. If you're feeling lonely or isolated, call somebody. Call your community group leader and chat with them. Um, and let's just continue praying for one another and continue interceding in this time. We love you and we hope to see you soon. Strange.